Okay, so we will begin here, and I'm very excited to begin learning Tanya with you. Um, Tanya, as you know, is the most foundational work of, of definitely Chabad Hasidus, arguably of Hasidus in general, but it's, um, if you've, if you're connected to Chabad in any way, you've learned Tanya in one form or another, one day or another, and it's a safer that we learn constantly, constantly in Chabad, it's the only safer. Um, if Chabad Hasidus, that the custom is to learn every single day, right? The Tanya is split up in a way that you can um, learn the entire Tanya every year, and that's part of the Chitas studies. Um, and it's, as I said, it's as foundational as you can get as far as Chabad Hasidus is concerned. So before we begin, and again, the plan is, God willing, to try to cover the concepts of one chapter per week of Tanya. That's the plan. We'll see how it works in Mirza Hashem. Um, but before and today, I want to give a little bit of an introduction. And perhaps the things I'm going to say are known to many of you, but nevertheless, uh, a basic introduction to Tanya and to Hasidus in general, in short. So, Hasidus, Hasidus and Hasidus teaching starts about uh, roughly around 300 years ago. You have the Baal Shem Tov, who's known as the founder of the Hasidic movement. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov becomes comes on the scene in the beginning of the, the very beginning of the 1700s and begins this revolution of uh, emphasizing certain areas in Yiddishkeit, whether it's Simcha, Emuna, Hashkacha Pratis, and all the ideas that the Balshamto became famous for and Hasidism becomes famous for. And the Balshamto starts, teaches, he travels around a lot and he amasses a tremendous amount of uh, followers of the early Hasidim and great disciples, amongst them some great tzaddikim. But when the, Al-Tirab, when the Baal Shem Tov passes away, um, 1760, on Shavuos, he is going to be um, succeeded by the greatest of his disciples, and that is Rabdov Ber, the Magid of Mezrich. Rabdov Ber called the Mezricher Magid. So even though the Baal Shem Tov had a number of disciples and they were tzaddikim, um, some of them quite famous and great in their own rights, but the mantle of leadership goes over to his disciple, Rabdov Ber. Um, interesting piece of history. Actually, for one year, the one who succeeded the Baal Shem Tov was his son. And that's, his name is Tzvi. People don't know much about Tzvi. But he was the one who succeeded the Baal Shem Tov for one year. But after, by the first yard site, this Tzvi was sitting with the other disciples and he said that my father, the Baal Shem Tov, came to me from heaven and he said that I'm not the one who should be the successor. Rather, it's Rabdov Barat Mezrich. You mean the Altar Rebbe came to him? No, no, the Baal Shem Tov. Again, we're talking about the Baal Shem Tov's son. Oh, right? oh, oh. The Baal Shem Tov, when he passes away, his son Svi succeeds him for one year. Okay. After one year, he says that my father came to me from heaven and said, I'm not the one who meant to lead the Hasidim, rather it's Rabdov Ber. And he becomes the successor, Rabdov Ber of Mezrich, known as the Mezrich Magid. And he in turn teaches the teachings of Hasidus, and he again amasses um, a great group of disciples, aside from thousands of Hasidim all over, but a great group of disciples who are great tzaddikim in their own right. When he passes away, the Magad of Mezrish, so here there is a change, a shift of planning. And instead of having one successor who took over the Magad of Mezrich, the disciples decide to sort of divide, divide and conquer, if you will. They wanted to, that the teachings of Hasidus should spread much, much more. But at this, at this time, there's already many thousands of Hasidim. And they have different great disciples become Rebbes in different areas. 
left Poland and of Russia and what's known today as Ukraine. Some even went to Israel, Romania. And this is when you have Hasidism splinter into a number of different Hasidic sects, which since then has just been more and more. Today you have many Hasidic sects, which all trace themselves back to those disciples of the great Magid. Right? So for two generations, there was one, you know, Hasidus was like one under one leadership. You had the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid of Mezrich. But after that Magid of Mezrich, then you have already the division of Hasidism into a number of different Hasidic sects and leaders. Um, some of the Magid's great disciples who are famous is like Reb Lev Yitzchak of Berdichev, um, Reb Zusha of Anipoli, Reb Melech of Lizensk, um, Reb Menachem Mendel of Haradok. These were some of the great disciples of the Mezricher Magid. Right? But one of those disciples, and that's he's one who's we're going to be learning from, was Rab Schneir Zalman of Liadi, who, who we call the Altir Hadam. And he was one of the youngest disciples of the Magid, Mamash, one of the youngest disciples, but definitely of the greatest, if not the greatest, of his disciples. And even the Magid in his lifetime showed a tremendous amount of affection to this disciple, again, though he was one of the youngest. He was called Reb Zalman, or sometimes he was called the Litvak, because he came from Lithuania. But when the Magid passes away, and they're, de- they're sort of deciding who goes where, who gets which region. So the Alter Rebbe was given the, the uh, large area of Lithuania, White Russia, which was the center and the stronghold of the opposition to Hasidism. You had people, great people, who were very much in opposition of Hasidism, led by the Gaon of Vilna, the Vilna Gaon, the Gra, who was a tremendous, tremendous Talmud Chacham. I mean, you know, and he had many, many brilliant and great disciples in Torah. And in order to be able to be the teacher and leader of Hasidism there, you needed someone who was undisputedly great in every area of Torah. And the one chosen for that was Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, who wasn't only a great Hasidic master, but he was a tremendous Torah genius in all areas of Torah. In fact, the Alter Rebbe who wrote the Tanya also wrote a Shulchan Aruch. And that was commissioned by the Magid himself. The Mazrisha Magid of all his disciples chooses the Alter Rebbe to write this halachic you know, compendium of Shulchan Aruch. So the Alter Rebbe was therefore chosen to be the leader of Hasidim, even in those areas of again, where the stronghold of the opposition to Hasidism was based. And that's where he begins. But, so although he's one of the disciples of the Magad and becomes one of the Rebbe's, nevertheless, he develops an approach that's going to be different even than all of the other, his colleagues. And what set the Alter Rebbe apart? What made his approach different? So he called his branch of Hasidism, he called it Chabad. And Chabad stands for, of course, Chachma Bina Das, which means wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And that is because it was the Alter Rebbe's Shita, it was his belief that even the deepest ideas of mysticism and Hasidus have to be studied and learnt and comprehended. And not, it wasn't only just about being inspired and being invigorated, but it was about learning and, uh, you know, uh, method, methodically learning and understanding all of these teachings of the Magid and the Baal Shem Tov. And in that way, he really was different than his colleagues. Because most of the Hasidic masters, at least of that time, they were of the opinion, 
Um, they were of the opinion that Hasidism is much more about being inspired and being uplifted and being spiritual, but not so much study, study and learning and, and deep memorium and so on. That wasn't the way of the other Hasidic masters. So the Atar begins this Hasidic branch, if you will, called Chabad, and based on learning and understanding and intellectually trying to absorb the teachings of Hasidus. And this became his way, and the Altar wrote many, many books in his lifetime, as did all of his successors. All of the successors of Chabad were prolific teachers and writers who wrote many, many books of Hasidus. So the Chabad Hasidic library has hundreds and hundreds of books. Whereas other Hasidic libraries might have one or two or three because they didn't believe that that's what Hasidus was supposed to be. So there was a, there was a deep internal debate, if you will, about how Hasidus should be taught. Is it more of inspiration and, you know, the, let the tzaddik do the learning and everyone else was be inspired and uplifted and so on. And Hasidus Chabad was always about learning and understanding these teachings of Hasidus. So that was the Alter Rebbe who um, really began that in his branch, again, of Hasidus. Okay? Now, although the Alter Rebbe wrote many books of Hasidus, this is an entire shelf or two shelves of the Alter Rebbe's books, there's no question what his magnum opus was, and that was the book of Tanya. And he worked on it for many years. And it's not even such a big book. There are other books that he wrote that are two, three, four times the size of Tanya. Tanya is not a huge book. I'm holding in my hand here the entire Tanya. I'm holding a very special Tanya, which I'll tell you about soon. But the, um, the Alter Rebbe spends many years writing and perfecting the book of Tanya until it's printed, um, in 1797, right before the year 1800, is where Tanya is printed for the very first time. Now, what year was that? 1797 is when Tanya is printed for the first time. There was manuscripts that were going around beforehand because it came out, there was a chapter here, a chapter there, but collected and cohesively put out as one book, one safer, that was in 1797 when the author ever printed the Tanya for the first time. Now, the book of Tanya itself is really made up of five books, five sections. There are five sections to Tanya. Um, interestingly, and something that people sometimes miss over, is that the Tanya, initially, when the Alter Rebbe wrote the Tanya, was only three sections. And the additional two were added by his sons. Right? But I want to explain. The first section of Tanya is typically called Lukute Amorim. Literally, that means a collection of sayings. That's the first and most famous section of Tanya. That's the one that everyone learns, or learns first. The first section, and that is 53 chapters long. Lukuti Amorim, the first section of Tanya, 53 chapters. The second section of Tanya is called Shar Hayichud Vohaemuna, which literally means the gate to the understanding of the oneness of Hashem and the faith in Hashem. Yichud and Amuna, Yichud is Achtus, the oneness of Hashem, and the faith, the Amuna and Hashem. That's the sec second section of Tanya, much more esoteric, and that's 12 chapters long. The third section of Tanya is called Igeras HaTshuva. Literally, that means the letter of Tshuva, of repentance. And that's also 12 chapters long, and that focuses on Tshuva uh, from a halachic perspective, but more so from an esoteric perspective. That's the first three. Right? Again, Lukuti Amorim, the 53 chapters, Igeras Shariuchel Ve'amuna, the 12 chapters, and Igeras Hatshuva, which is again 12 chapters. These three were Tanya that the Alter Rebbe published. 
when the Altar Rebbe published it again, it was a book of these three sections of Likuti Amorim, Sharikh Edomun, and Igeras Shuvah. Then, after the Altar Rebbe passed away, his sons, led by his successor of Dovber, known as the Mittler Rebbe, and his two brothers, they decided to add to Tanya from the Altar Rebbe's writings. So they added section four, and they call that Igeras HaKodesh, which means holy letters, and that's exactly what it is. It's a compilation of letters of the Alter Rebbe that they chose to be letters that are, have importance for everyone and, and basic general messages. Um, the, they chose these from, the Alter Rebbe wrote thousands of letters, but they chose 32, and there's 32 such letters that they comprise the Igeras HaKodesh. Now, very differently than the first three sections, the first three sections are written in book form, so they're one continuation. Right? The first book is 53 chapters, second 12, and the third 12. The letters, each one is its own thing. It was its own letter written to a community, to a person. So it's 32 individual letters that they compiled and made them section four of Tanya, Igeras HaKodesh. Do they explain them, or they're just the copies of the letters? No, just, they're the letters the way they are. And there's explanations written on Tanya by many, many people. But they just took the words of their father, the Alter Rebbe, and compiled these 32 letters and put them in as Igeras HaKodesh. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that became section four of Tanya. And then you have section five of Tanya, which is called Kuntris Acharon, which literally means the last pamphlet. And what it is, is a number of essays that the Alter Rebbe wrote that are very Kabbalistic, very difficult typically, and they are explanations on things that he had written in the first section of Tanya. So it's, again, it's a number of Kabbalistic essays explaining the Kabbalah behind things that he said in the first section of Tanya, and this is by far the hardest part of Tanya, and this is what they added as part five, section five of Tanya. So this... After they added, it just became part of Tanya. So as far as we know, it's Tanya. And again, so this one book that I'm holding contains all five of those sections. And when I said before that there's a study system of learning a piece of Tanya every day and finishing the entire Sefer in one year, that includes all five sections of Tanya, from Lukutei Amorim to Kuntus Acharon, and together they comprise this Sefer called Tanya. Okay? Now, why is Tanya called Tanya? What does the name Tanya even mean? Right? So Tanya is a phrase in the Gemara when the Gemara brings a brysa. Now, um, I think we discussed it at some point that the first work of oral tradition ever written was the Mishnah. Right? Oral tradition was oral for well over a thousand years, and that's why it's called oral. And it was Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi who wrote the first book called Mishnah, which was a basic compilation of the basic halachas of the Torah. So that was, that's the Mishnah. That's the most authoritative first work of oral tradition. But after Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wrote the Mishnah, there were other great sages of that generation that wrote other halachic compendiums. And one of them is called the Brisa. There's Brisa, there's Tosefta. These are various parts of oral tradition. So when the Talmud, when the Gemara will bring a statement from a Mishnah, it will say Tnan. That's just Talmud language for a Mishnah. If it's bringing a Brisa, it says Tanya. Right? So Tanya is just a Talmudic term for a Brisa that's being quoted. And Brisa means? The, literally, Brisa means outside. In, in Aramaic, the word Brisa means outside because it was outside of the Mishnah. 
So these are technical terms, really. But Brisa is a body of oral tradition. So the first quote from the book of Tanya is a quote from a Brisa. And that's why the first word of Tanya is Tanya. He starts off, Tanya, we learned, and he goes on to quote a Brisa. And being that that's the first word, that's how the name stuck as the book of Tanya. So it sounds like a very, you know, it's just, a, it's almost technical that this famous Tanya, Tanya literally means we learnt in a brysa. So being that the Tanya opens up with a quote from a brysa, so therefore he starts with that word Tanya and it became known as Tanya. That's the technical answer behind the word Tanya. There are deeper reasons given and all different types of allusions. I'll mention one. I'll mention one, and that is that the word Tanya, if you rearrange the letters, you have Tof, Nun, Yud, Aleph, you have the word Eisan or Eitan. What does Eisan or Eitan mean? Something that's very strong, very hard, very powerful. And it's actually, there's a part of our neshama called the Eisan of the neshama, the very deepest part of our neshama that's unchangeable and unbreakable. And even if it's um, smothered for who knows how long, it always is there and could always come out. That's called the Eisan of the neshama. And therefore, Tanya, as brought in Svarim, has that power to try to awaken and elicit the power of our neshama. So that's a remez, that's an allusion, a hint to this that Tanya is called Tanya and that the first word happens to be Tanya because it's something that's meant to awaken and connect to the Aesan, to the essence of our Nisham. Okay, so that is the basic background of the Sefer. In this book, the Alter Rebbe writes the, the basics of his approach to how to help us serve Hashem properly, um, and in the various sections, he talks about the oneness of Hashem, the faith in Hashem, and the tshuva, and all of the basics of Hasidus are all in Tanya. In fact, Tanya has been called many times the Torah Shebiksav of Hasidus, which means just like the big Torah we have, there's the written Torah and the oral tradition that explains the written Torah. So the written Torah is the Chumash, right? And everything else is sort of explaining it. The Tanya is called like the written Torah of Hasidus. It's the basic, it's the foundation. And based on that, we have countless thousands and thousands of Hasidic discourses, but ultimately they're all rooted and based in the Tanya itself. So specifically Lubavitch Hasidus, I'm talking about Chabad Hasidus. Although Tanya is learned by all Hasidim, but specifically I'm talking about Lubavitch Hasidim. And right. Litvach would not learn Tanya. Incorrect. Oh. Incorrect. I mean... I'm, I mean, not I'm, that they would, what I'm saying, typically. So... It's a book of Hasidus, uh -huh. but Tanya, I can't talk for everyone, is accepted as a, a, a holy and powerful safer amongst all Kali Yisrael, as far as I know. Um, again, nobody can talk for everybody, but I come from a family that's mostly not Chabad, mostly you know, Litvish families, and Tanya is a safer that's held in the highest regard. Of course, a Chabad Chassid learns Tanya every day and so on and so right. forth, and that's right. a Chabad thing. Right. But the fact that it is a safer of tremendous power and clarity and helps a person serve Hashem is something that it's, it's, it's out there. It's not a hidden safer at all. Um, in the Rebbe's eyes, Tanya was like the safer. And right. that's why I said before I brought along a very special Tanya. This is a Tanya that, that the Rebbe handed me personally. Um, 30 something years ago when I was a student in yeshiva it was on Yutes Kislev which is a great day in Chabad and the Rebbe handed out this Tanya to I don't know 7-8 thousand people that were there that night and I don't use it every day but for our first Tanya class I brought it along and that is the that's the Tanya right? the Rebbe was also for printing a Tanya in every city there was like a tremendous Kedusha that the Rebbe associated with the Tanyas um, and that's the safer we're going to focus on yes Quick question. sure so the 
Um, which nails on and didn't name the book Tanya. That's what it ended up being called, or he actually named them. So that's an interesting question. I don't know that he called it Tanya. He called it Sefer Shalbainanim, the book of the Bainani, which we'll discuss. He called it Lukute Amorim, a collection of sayings. I'm not sure where, when the first time Tanya was actually called the Tanya. I don't, it's an interesting question. On the Tanya that I'm, I'm showing you, it says here, Lukute Amorim, Tanya. But what, who was the first one who gave it, who called it Tanya? I don't know. He definitely started it with the word Tanya, but as far as the name sticking, I don't know the, the answer to that question. Okay? Okay, um, on the title page of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe writes, he says, I'm calling this book the book of the Benini, the book of the intermediate, middle person, regular person. Um, we're going to talk a lot about that as we get into the chapters. But the Tanya is focused on being there for the regular person, the average person, which in simple words means the person who struggles which is the vast majority of people who struggle and they have uh, you know, positive and negative and inclinations and struggles and the Tanya is focused and geared to the struggler. Now, interestingly, the Alter Rebbe also wrote or at least began writing a book that he called Sefer Shel Tzadikim, a book for the Tzadik who's on a whole different level. Um, how many of you here have read that book? <laughs> right, so the Alter Rebbe begins writing a book for the Tzadikim, but nobody has read it. And the reason nobody read it is because, and this is an interesting tradition that we have, and the Rebbe actually writes this tradition, and that is that he was visited by a colleague. One of the great Tzadikim who was a disciple of the Magid, was known as the Shpoler Zayda. Anyone ever heard the Shpoler Zayda? He was a Tzadik from the city of Shpola, that was the name of the city, and he was called the Zayda for whatever reason, there's a story behind that also. But he was a great Tzadik. And he happens to visit the Alter Rebbe, where the Alter Rebbe lives in Liadi. And he comes and he says, he says, he calls him by his first name, because he knew him, Zalman. He says, he says, I know that you've begun writing a book for Tzadikim. I want you to know the world is not worthy of this book. We don't need it. And in fact, I'm going to go to heaven together with this book. That's what he said. And then he bid him farewell and he left. A short while later, in the city of Shpala, the Shpala Zayda passed away. And at that time in Liadi, a fire broke out and burnt, burnt that room with that book that was being written, that manuscript. So here he said, I'm going to heaven with the book of Sadiqim. That's why I'm assuming no one here has read the book of Sadiqim because it was burnt before it was finished. And clearly, it doesn't seem to be the necessity of most people. Most people uh, can use the book of the Benini and the Sadiqim figure out on their own what to do, I guess. Um, but this is the book of the Benini. So the author Rebbe says, he says, I'm going to write the book of the Benini. And then he says that really, I'm not writing anything of my own. He says, Milukat mipisfarim umipisofrim. It's really just a gathering of things from Sfarim, from certain Sfarim, certain books, and certain teachers, Kedoshe Elyon, great holy teachers. He doesn't actually say which Sfarim he used and which teachers he had, but we know. We know from, from the tradition, from his sons, and so on and so forth. The Sfarim he was talking about primarily were the Sfarim of his great-great-grandfather, which is the Maharal of Prague. Right, the Maral of Prague, famously, was this great Rav and great Mekubal and wrote many greats for him. And he was the great-great-grandfather of the Alter Rebbe, son after son, we know that, we know the sons. So that was one sefer that's used, um, that the Alter Rebbe used a lot when writing the Tanya. And also the writings of the Shalah, 
Rabbi Yeshaya Halevi Horowitz, who lived later, who was also a great Mekubal and great Balmusser, and the Alter Rebbe considered himself a disciple of the Shalaz teachings as well. So those were the two primary Sfarim used when he says, I gathered from Sfarim, the writings of the Maharal, the writings of the Shalaz, and of teachers, that's an easy one, the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid of Mezrich, who were his, the ones he, he was succeeding, and also some of the older disciples of the Magid of Mezrich. I mentioned the Alter Rebbe was one of the youngest. When the Magid of Mizrich died, passed away, so the Alter Rebbe would go to some of the older disciples, most notably Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Haradah, who later went to Israel and is buried in Israel. Um, and also the, the, the Alter Rebbe's Chavrusa, which was the Magid's son, known as Rabbi Avram the Malach, Rabbi Avram the Angel. And the reason he was called Rabbi Avram the Angel is because he was a person who had just was 100% spiritual and everything and like an angel. But he was a study partner of the Alter Rebbe. So these, when the Alter Rebbe talks about his teachers, he's talking about the Baal Shem Tov, the Magid of Mezrit, Shomenachem Mendel of Horodok, and Rabbi Avram the Malach. But he says, so I'm writing this, uh, this Sefer, and again, the Alter Rebbe in his humility says, I'm just, I'm just gathering things. I'm, what's written in Sfarim, what I heard from teachers. But then he says, this entire Sefer is based on one Pasuk in the Torah. Which Pasuk? Which is the Pasuk, the Alter Rebbe says, the whole book of Tanya is there to really explain one Pasuk. And that is a Pasuk in the Torah portion of Nitzavim. Moshe Rabbeinu is standing with the Jewish people before they're off to go into Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, oftentimes we think that Torah mitzvahs is hard. It's difficult. How can I do it? There's so many rules. There's so many things. It's very hard. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't say that. He says, Lo bashamayim hi, Torah is not in heaven, lo me'ever ayam. Rather, and this is the famous Pasuk, ki karov elecha hadavar ma'od. It's very close to you. It's very accessible. It's very attainable. Beficha, verbally. Bilvavcha, emotionally. Laasaisai, in action. In other words, to serve Hashem, verbally, which means verbally is the words of tefillah and the words of Torah, emotionally, feelings of avas Hashem and yiras Hashem. Laasaisai, action, to do all the mitzvahs, says Moshe Rabbeinu, it's close. It's in your hands. It's in your grasp. It's accessible. It's attainable. Never think, this, I can't do this. It's impossible. It's way out there. It's not for me. No, kikaro velecha. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. So it's a beautiful pasuk, but still, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like it's always so accessible. See, the Rebbe says, that's why I'm writing Tanya. Levayir hetev, to explain well, eich hu karov ma'od. How is it really very much within our grasp? each and every one of us at every point in time to fulfill and to be exactly the way the Torah wants from us every day of our life, how that's karov ma'ot. And that's what I'm writing this sefer for. Of all the five books of Chumash, he says, this Pasuk is what I want, to, I want you to understand. How it's karov alecha adavar ma'ot. And then he adds something very interesting. And he says, I'm going to explain this to you. Bederach arucha uktsara. In a long and short way, be'ezras Hashem Yisbarach, with the help of Hashem, blessed be He. And of course, if there's a safer, there's got to be something cryptic there. What does that mean? I'm going to explain it to you in a long, short way. That's an odd statement. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean? I'm going to explain to you how it's close and accessible for you to serve Hashem in a, in a derech arucha uktsara, a long, short way. So, the idea of derech arucha uktsara, to understand that, that's really a quote from a medrash. The medrash says that there was a, one of the sages of the Talmud was coming towards Yerushalayim. And he was coming to Yerushalayim, he was talking about the smart kids of Yerushalayim. Some people might call them smart Alex. But he said, he was coming towards the, the, and he sees a child, and he sees there's a fork in the way, there's two ways to go. And he asks the child, which way is closer? 
Which way is the better way to get to Yerushalayim? And the child says, well, this way is shorter but longer. That's longer but shorter. Right? <laughs> That's how kids were in the olden days. So he said, this, is, this way is... Lo-. So the, the, the tzaddik went in the way that he said is, is shorter but longer. So he went. And, he get, and after a while he comes back and he says, well, I mean, there was thorns and there was bushes and there was all types of challenges, obstacles. Right? And he says, that's ridiculous. So the child said, well, didn't you listen? I said, this way is shorter, but it's longer. No, it's shorter in distance, but it's longer because you're not secure. I don't know if you're going to get there. The other way is longer, but it's, it's a paved path. You're going to get there. So the Alchemist says, I want to teach you how to serve Hashem in a way that's longer and shorter. What, is, what did he mean? What he meant is the following. Sometimes, in order to do the right thing, we're looking for a quick fix. And quick fixes sometimes work very well for a few minutes. Right, we get all inspired and we'll do it and whatever, and we're inspired. And the Alter says that's short, it's quick, it's easy, but it's long because it's not sustainable and it's not safe and it's not secure. I don't know how, it's, how long it's going to last, and that's not the way I want to teach. And this really follows the Alter approach that he wants us to learn the ideas and understand it, and not just get inspired and uplifted and, and you know feeling spiritual. He wanted something that was more difficult, will take more time, but something that he said, if you do this, you're going to get there. It's going to be yours. You're going to understand it. You're going to relate to it, and something you'll always have. And that's what he meant when he says, "I want to teach you how to fulfill, or how the Torah is easy to fulfill, or close and accessible and attainable." But I want to explain it to you, b'derach harucha ktsara, in this long and short way. Be'ezras Hashem Yisparach with the help of Hashem. That that's his. That's this. It's a. That's the title page. That's his words that he wrote of what his goal and purpose of Tanya is to make Yiddishkeit accessible, attainable on every level. Now, going back to the pasuk, to the verse that he said he wants to talk about, is kikaro velacha, right? It's close to us. But there's three words that that pasuk uses. It says that the serving Hashem is close to us, beficha, verbally, bilvavcha, emotionally, and lasoso is action. And he wants to explain how all of them are within our grasp and attainable. Which is the biggest challenge of the three? Emotion. Right? The, the, the verbal, the emotion, or the action? So I get I have one vote for emotion. Action. Action. <laughs> action. Oh, two, two actions. You say action too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just think actions are easy, you know, like not for me. <laughs> okay, you know, one thing we don't do this, this is not a confessional where we don't do that. <laughs> um, okay. So typically, from, although I, I understand and always by every table there's going to be different people saying different answers, from the Tanya perspective, the one that's most challenging is the emotion one. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because actions, we can always do something whether we're in the mood or not. Right? We, all, we all do things every day that we're not in the mood of doing, but we have to. If that's my job, I've got to show up and do it. I don't need to be in the mood to do what I have to do. I mean, it's sometimes I like doing it, sometimes I don't, but to do it, I gotta do it. We know that we gotta do things even when we don't. And the same thing is with saying things. We all know that we sometimes say things whether we are or aren't in the mood. Emotions, it's hard to feel it if I don't feel it. Right? Emotions are much more internal. Actions are external. 
So though I do understand people are saying, yeah, but sometimes it's hard to always do external things. And I understand that. But yet, when it comes to action, we have the ability to tell ourselves, listen, this has to be done because A, B, C, D, and I'm going to do it. But to say, oh, I'm going to start liking something or disliking something or loving Hashem or fearing Hashem, these are things that require a certain level of internal work. So, therefore, although the Tanya talks about all three, again, in the 53 chapters of Tanya ahead of us, he talks about emotions, and he talks about actions, and he talks about verbal, but there is an emphasis in Tanya in helping us also create and nurture our emotional relationships with Hashem. Because the, the mitzvahs of the Torah, although the majority of the mitzvahs are action-based, but there's also mitzvahs of of love of Hashem and fear of Hashem and simcha and bitachon, which these are feelings and emotions. And throughout the work of Tanya, he weaves back and forth and comes back to the emotions many, many times. But as he says in the opening, they're all there and they're all important and they're all part of this Pasuk that Meshur Rabbeinu tells us. And he says that this is what Tanya is here to explain, how indeed it is close to us, again, in that longer, shorter way. Okay? Can I just say... Like, yes. No, we always say action is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking like at this time, uh, with everything that's going on, like I, I know for myself, like, like I kind of, sometimes I just put my feelings to the side and I say, the most important thing now is say your Tehillim, get Tzedakah, do as many mitzvahs as possible, because sometimes if, you're, if you let your emotions take over, then you can get like Chasr paralyzed. True. So like it's interesting how, like I, I always think I I always think that way because sometimes if we wait for our emotions to kick in, it might take so long. Right. So. Right. So there's no question that as Yidden we are told, and again, and like in, in the Mishnah, that whether our emotions are with us or not, whether we're up to it or doing having the right emotions, we got to do the right thing no matter what. And even when I'm paralyzed, and even when my emotions are better not felt, we tr- we do the right thing. At the same time, we're also meant to work on our emotions. Sometimes that's easier, sometimes that's harder. Um, sometimes it comes naturally, sometimes it doesn't. But that's something that we work on as well. So being a yid is a fully encompassing thing. It's emotions and it's verbally and it's actions. But you're right. Sometimes the emotions just aren't there and we do the right thing anyway. But that doesn't mean that emotions aren't important to us. Right? Okay. That is the title page of Tanya. Um, after the title page, and I'm not going to read them at all, but the Al-Tarabbi wanted some approbations, some haskamos. And he wanted from two of the tzaddikim, which were also disciples of the Magid and colleagues of his. One is very famous, and that's Reb Zusha of Anapoli. Many, many stories about Reb Zusha, and he was a very close colleague of the Al-Tarabbi. And the Al-Tarabbi wanted a, a haskama, an approbation of his, which he gave. And another, who's perhaps lesser known, Rabbi Huda Leib HaKohen, but he also wrote an approbation to Tanya, and both of them lauded the Tanya in the highest uh, forms possible. Um, and then the Alter Rebbe's sons also wrote their approbation when they were going to print it and, uh, and talked about the greatness of the Tanya, which I'm not going to discuss with you at all. Um, I want to, for a few minutes, discuss the Alter Rebbe's own introduction, because before chapter one, he wrote what he called Hakdamas Hamelakit. Literally, it means the introduction of the compiler. Because again, the Alter Rebbe called himself only a compiler. I'm only compiling words that I heard from my Rebbe's that I read in the Sforim. That's how he always looked at himself. So he writes the introduction of the Malakit of the one who compiled the Tanya. It's somewhat of a lengthy introduction. I just want to give you over a synopsis of it. Interestingly, 
the majority of the introduction is why he shouldn't be writing this book. Why really the Hasidim aren't going to be happy with this and they're not going to like this. And he gives a really strong argument against writing the book of Tanya. You'll remember the Hasidic teachers till that point did not write. The Baal Shem Tov did not write anything. The Magid of Mizrich did not write anything. We have certain books of their sayings, but that's disciples who wrote their sayings. Right? There's a couple of books of the Baal Shem Tov's teachings written by disciples, compiled by disciples. There's a couple of books of the Magid's teachings compiled by disciples, but the actual masters didn't write. So the Alter Rabbi here is doing something new. This is, uh, he's being an innovator, which he was on many levels. And he's writing this book of Hasidus. So before he does that, he writes in the Hagdama why the Hasidim are not going to appreciate it. And his point is, he says, Hasidim wanted personal guidance and direction from their Rebbe. And he said, how can you compare a book to personal guidance? After all, a book is one book written for everyone, and it's up to everyone to read it and understand it based on their perspective and based on their feeling and based on their way of understanding things. All of us know that two people can read the same story and come out with two different pictures of what happened. And the Alter Rebbe says, even in halacha, it's that way. Even in halacha, there's so many arguments and machlokas in halacha. That means even in Jewish law, there's different perspectives and different ways of understanding. Everything comes from the same Moshe Rabbeinu, but yet, Differences of opinion, differences of understanding. So if that's true in halacha, how much more so when we're talking about more internal stuff and trying to help us serve Hashem properly and the, the duties of the heart, there's so much room for personal bias and personal um, understanding and leaning and perspective. And therefore the Alter Rebbe says that the Hasidim aren't going to want this. I'm writing a book. I know I'm going to be up to against resistance. They're not going to want this. They're going to say, this cannot be instead of the direction and personal guidance that we were used to from the rabbis. And he, I'm saying that in short, he sort of builds that based on Gemaras and based on Midrashim. And he really makes the point very, very powerfully. So then why did he write the book? So he goes on to say, and he says something very, very amazing. He says, this is not a regular book. He says, I'm writing this to people who I know. People who for, the last, for years and years have been pouring out their heart to me. And they've been telling me what they're going through. And I'm directing my, ans my personalized answers to them through the pages of the Sefer. That's what he says. He says, I don't want you to look at this as just like, you know, I, I thought up a bunch of nice ideas and I'm writing a book and put it on the shelf and learn. He says, that's not what it is. It's a book of directed answers based on everything that I've heard from you, from Hasidim, from followers over the many years that I've been teaching. And I'm putting all of those answers to you in book form. And he says something very amazing. He says, okay, and he says, and all of the answers to the questions you're going to ask are there. Then he says, but what if someone reads the whole book and he doesn't find an answer to their personal question? So what might the Alger Rebbe say? You know, okay, you know, try, try, try another book, right? He says, no. He says, they're definitely there. And he says, take the book to the elders of your city, to the wiser people, help, have them help you find your answer in this book. And that's where the concept of a mashpia of a spiritual guide mentor became so central to Hasidus, specifically Chabad Hasidus, because right in the first book, in the introduction to the first book, the Alter Rebbe is telling you, I'm giving you the answers. Sometimes you might not find it, 
bring it to someone who knows a little more. And then he, then he turns to them and he says, and to you, the elders of the communities, I'm asking you, don't be humble. If a person comes to ask, it's your responsibility to find the answers for them and help them. And he says, when you help someone else, you'll be helped yourself. He'll help you in the areas that you're struggling. And the Al-Turabi right here in this Hakdama gives this like this hierarchy. He says, I, the, the answers are there. I'm putting the answers there. Um, for you to have, and if you don't find it, ask someone for help finding it. Now, here we have the interesting thing. On the one hand, the Al-Tareb is approaching this with the ultimate humility, and he's only the compiler, and all he's doing is giving over things. On the other hand, he has the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, the uh, well, in Yiddishkeit, it's called, in Yiddish, it's the Breitkeit. He has that, um, the, the, breath. The, the breath, I guess, to say, I am giving you all of your answers in this book. Now, one could argue and say, well, he only said it to the people who I knew. So maybe it was just one generational. Right? And the Rebbe writes, talks about this. As the Rebbe says, I'm, I'm answering the questions to all the people who I knew who poured out their hearts to me. Well, the Rebbe didn't know me. He lived 200 years ago. Right? We all but, have the same questions. <laughs> so, ultimately, so, human beings have the same Right, so that, that's one answer. But the Rebbe says, no, that's, that, that's the power of Tanya. The power of Tanya was that the al Rebbe invested this tremendously holy power in it. That he says, I am going to give the answers to the questions that people have in Avedis Hashem. That anything that might, that might deter, disturb you and questions that you might have of how to do it and where to do it, he says, I am inserting this into the Sefer. And as I said, there's no Sefer that became like Tanya in all of you know, the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of such Sefarim that are as learned and as sought out. And um, you know, today you have the Shluchim and Four Corners of the Earth and people come to learn some Chassidus. What are they always, what's the first Sefer? It's Tanya. The, the, the thousands or tens of thousands of people who found their way back to Yiddishkeit through learning these ideas of Tanya. The stories, you can write books and books on just the stories that there are um, behind the, the book of Tanya. But this is how the Alter Rebbe writes, and that's how he finishes off his, um, his, uh, his Hakdama. And therefore he says, and I'm blessing everyone to be able to find those answers, and those who help others, they should be helped themselves. And, um, and that's how he finishes his Hakdama, his introduction to the book of Tanya. And that's where we'll finish tonight. And next week we'll go on, Mir Sashem, and start chapter one of Tanya.